Father, it's all because of you the band is. And uh, it really is all because of you that I am. And you are I am that I am. And so, uh, Father, everything good comes from you. It really is all because of you. Every breath, every heartbeat, every flower, every cell in our body, it's all because of you. And Lord, we're at the door. We're standing at the door right now in your sanctuary and you're calling us home. And that's all because of you. Because I am came to get us. And so may we worship you uh, this day, Lord God. And in Jesus' name, I ask that you would help us to preach the word, our Lord Jesus. Amen. I read about uh, this in a support letter for Covenant House in New York City. It's a shelter. Uh, Kathy came to the door of Covenant House on a Tuesday morning holding a, a paint can, a little paint can, something like this. She was something of a mystery to the sisters at Covenant House because wherever she went, she clutched this paint can tightly to herself. When she sat down, she held the paint can. When she stood up, she held the paint can. When she slept, she slept with a paint can. When she ate, the paint can was right next to her. Even in the shower, the paint can was only a few steps away. She wouldn't get dressed or undressed without carefully manipulating and moving the paint can, clutching the paint can. I'm sorry, this is mine, she'd tell the counselors. When they'd ask about it, she'd say, this can belongs to me. When Sister Mary Ellen would inquire, um, would you like to tell me, Kathy, what's in that paint can? She always said, um, um, not today, not today. When Kathy's little soul seemed especially dry, when she was sad or angry or depressed, which happened quite a lot, she'd take her paint can by herself and go up to the third floor at Covenant House and sit in her room. Sister Mary Ellen says that sometimes she'd walk past the door and she'd see Kathy in there just holding the can, rocking back and forth, her hair flowing over her shoulders. She'd talk to the can, she'd whisper to the can, she worshiped the can, she'd kiss the can. Do you know the word worship in Greek means to kiss? Well, she worshiped the can. Early one morning, Sister Mary Ellen asked Kathy to come have breakfast with her. They sat for a while, talked about unimportant things, and then Mary Ellen said, Kathy, that's an awful nice can. What's in it? She sat there a long time. Kathy didn't answer. She walked back and forth holding the can, clutching the can. And then finally she looked up at Sister Mary Ellen with tears in her eyes and she said, it's my mother. Sister Mary Ellen said, your mother? 
And she said, yes, it's my mother's ashes. I went and got them from the funeral home. See, I even asked them to put a label right here on this side, and she showed it to Sister Mary Ellen, name, date of birth, date of death. That's all that she had of her mother, and then she clutched it back tightly to herself once again. I never really knew my mother's sister. I mean, she threw me in the garbage two days after I was born. Well, the sisters, they checked that out, and sure enough, the New York papers had reported a a little baby girl that was thrown in a dumpster. Uh, They found her two days after the date of Kathy's birth. She continued, I ended up living in a lot of foster homes, mad at my mom. But then I decided I was going to try and find her. I got lucky. Someone knew where she was living, and I went to her house. She wasn't there, sister. My mother was in the hospital. She had AIDS. I went and saw her, and I met her once the day before she died. And she told me she loved me. Well, Kathy started weeping. She told me that she loved me. Sister Mary Ellen reached out to hug Kathy, but it was really difficult to hug Kathy because she clutched so tightly to that can she couldn't get her arms around her. Just a taste of love, and she would not let go of that can. She would not stop drinking those ashes. She would not stop worshiping at that can. She thought that it was her life, but it was literally a can of of death. She thought it was her ticket to heaven, but for her it created hell. Like she was in hell, like ashes in a can. I, I don't know if Kathy ever put the can down. Have you? Because, you know, I think we all have a can of ashes that we carry around with us. Ashes of broken relationships. And yet we crave more of the very same relationships. Do you know what I mean? Ashes of broken dreams. And yet we're like addicted to those broken dreams. So we drink ashes and broken dreams and only get more thirsty. Only more aware of our sorry, empty selves. So... Sister Mary Ellen asked, what's in the can? And I think Jesus asked, what's in that can that you hold so tightly to yourself? Let's talk about that thirst of yours. Because I have something that I'd like to give you that I'd like you to drink instead. John chapter 14 Verse 3 goes like this. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. Uh, So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Literally, the Greek says it was the sixth hour of the day. Now, that number six is just packed with all kinds of meaning. It was on the sixth day that God made humans in his image or makes humans in his image. Number six. Sikar actually means drunk or drunken. It appears that this town uh, is Shechem. It was, uh, had been called Shechem, but now that Samaritans live there, uh, the Jews called it Sikar, drunk town. And yet, this ground and this well is the promised inheritance of Joseph, son of Israel, Jacob Israel. And you remember that Joseph, okay, get the setting, is a picture of Jesus, and like Kathy and the woman that we're about to meet, Joseph and Jesus were rejected by their families, but inherited this incredibly deep well. About the sixth hour, it was about noon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, strict Jewish men wouldn't even interact with a woman let alone a Samaritan woman, half-breed, half-religion, definitely not a Samaritan woman, and certainly not an estranged Samaritan woman. This woman was alone. It was customary in that day for the women to go together to the well in the cool of the day. It was like a, a communal activity, hard for us to understand we don't have wells, but you know when you go out to dinner and all the women go to the bathroom at the same time? It's Kind of like that, okay? I, I've never seen, I don't know if they ever go alone. But anyway, this woman, this woman was alone, and that's kind of suspect. She was alone, most likely for the reasons we'll soon read about. And a strange Samaritan woman and Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and Jesus asks her for help. She has something that he wants. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans, especially drinking cups, right? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to Ionios life, eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, um, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here over and over, coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. Let me paraphrase. What's in that paint can you're holding so tightly to your chest? What is it that you're carrying in your water jar now? What have you been drinking that 
leaves you thirsty. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Ouch! Jesus doesn't skirt the painful issues, does he? You know, in that culture, only the men could divorce the women, so more than likely the Samaritan woman had been rejected five times by five different husbands, and yet each time she would desperately return to the source of her wounds, marrying into the same situation, and now she's living with number six. This woman is drinking men. They satisfy for a moment, and then they leave her more thirsty. Six men. And now Jesus, he's the seventh, (laughs) the seventh Adam, the ultimate man. And get this, Jesus knows her. I don't think any of these guys really knew her. He knows her. It's like he swims in her paint can. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Worship, it appears that she's changing the subject, but she has stumbled into the very depths of the subject. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, the Father, like my Father and your Father, the Father, neither on this mountain nor in the city of Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, literally from Judah. And Jesus is the lion of Judah, and we can know him because he comes and he sits down next to us at the well. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am. This is so cool, but the he is added by the translators. I am the one who is speaking to you. Get it? I am that I am. Yahweh, Jehovah God, has just asked her for a drink from her cup, even as he offers her a drink from his cup. It's like a drinking party. (laughs) Communion. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar. She left her, she left her, her water, she left her paint can. She left her ashes and broken dreams. She left her earthen vessel. She left her terracotta water jar and went back to the city. I mean, it's like she forgot why she went to the well in the first place, right? She came for a drink. And now she's like drunk. Pretty intriguing story. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Then they left the city and were on their way to him. It leaves you wondering, did Jesus ever get his drink? 
in the town named Drunk. Whatever the case, I hope you notice the incredible way that Jesus engineered the dialogue. First, from thirst to promiscuity to worship. It starts with this conversation about physical water and bodily thirst, and Jesus turns it into a conversation about spiritual water and spiritual thirst, water that doesn't only satisfy in this age, day six, but wells up to eternal life. Now, you may remember in John, just two chapters before this, Jesus uh, goes to a wedding feast, and he, he turns water to wine in six giant stone jars. You know, we are like stone jars. Scripture says we are earthen vessels. His life becomes blood in us. His water turns to wine. His love takes the form of mercy. See, we're earthen vessels prepared to be filled with his mercy. We are thirsty for God. Did you know that? You're thirsty for God. Whether you know it or not, you're desperately thirsty. And if we don't drink his life, we will drink something. So the woman says that she'd like some of this living water, but just then Jesus brings up the second topic, her husband's. In effect, if you want my drink, tell me about the drink that you've been drinking. If your earthen vessel is full of ashes, how might we fill it with living water? And if you've been drinking those ashes, well, gosh, no wonder you're so thirsty. This woman was trying to satisfy her deepest thirst with men. Now, that makes some sense, because we men are pretty awesome, but... She's trying to satisfy her deepest thirst with men, and they'd fill her for a moment and yet they'd leave her even more thirsty. Just as Kathy was trying to satisfy her deepest thirst with her mother's approval, she'd drink the ashes of her love, and yet they'd leave her only more thirsty. Just like an addict who tries to quench his deepest thirst with wine, but the wine only mocks him, for in the end it only leaves him more thirsty. Just like us sinners. All of us sinners. You see, the Samaritan woman, Kathy, addicts and sinners, we all worship idols. What we drink into the depths of our being is what we worship. And everybody worships one way or another. So now the woman rightly brings up the third topic, worship. All emptiness, all dryness, all sin, according to Scripture, is misdirected worship. It's idolatry. And yet even that has a purpose in God's supreme design, for it helps us to come to know the depths of our own thirst, and thus the only drink, the only drink that satisfies. The life of Jesus satisfies our thirst. For we were made to worship him. We, we, you all sang it. I heard you. I stood here and heard you sing it over and over again. We are made to worship him. We are his body made to be filled with his blood. Blood is living water, isn't it? It's like life. We are his bride made to be filled with him, our groom. We are his house, a temple made for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To worship is to drink him in. It's to place him at the center. 
Now, we're to do that with every breath that we take, yet like the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim and like the Jews in the city of Jerusalem, we also gather together to do it. And when we gather together to do it, we are His city on His mountain, His temple, and His sanctuary. When we worship, we are most truly who we were made to be. Now pay attention. We were made to worship God, but in the absence of God, we will worship something. We were made to drink His Spirit, but if we don't, we will drink something, even if it's poison. We were made for Jesus, but away from Him, we'll give ourselves to just about any lover that, that comes along. Paul writes, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So if you find yourself enslaved to some created thing like a can of ashes or a bottle of wine, worship God. Don't be drunk with wine, writes Paul, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Don't be drunk on wine, he says. Be drunk on, on God. So if you struggle with wine, don't let yourself get so thirsty for living water. If you struggle with a sex addiction, don't go so long without communion. For you're seeking a communion no mere human can ever satisfy. One summer during college, I had this maintenance job. Andrew and I had it uh, at Mrs. Weiss's house in Lakewood, I think it was. I was dating Susan at the time and trying to control my thought life because we weren't married yet. Riding the lawnmower all day in the hot sun, you know, with all this time to think, I realized that I could only think about one of two things, sex or God. And the only way that I could stop thinking about sex was to start thinking about God. I mean, worshiping God. He was the only one remotely capable of competing with lust for her. The only communion more powerful or better See, if we don't worship God, we'll worship something and turn that something into an idol. And when we worship idols, we destroy ourselves and we destroy the idol. Did you get that? When we worship idols, we destroy ourselves and we destroy the idol. The, the Samaritan was on her sixth man. It's very likely that she was not an easy woman to live with. I imagine... That's because she expected each one of those men to quench her thirst, and none of those six could, so she devoured them as they devoured her. So here's some marriage counseling. You listening, Francis and Bill? I squeezed your hand. Okay, good. This is the best marriage counseling I know. Worship God so you don't expect your spouse to be God. Drink the love of Jesus or drink the life of Jesus or you will suck the life right out of your spouse trying to satisfy a thirst that can only be satisfied by eternal life, eternal water, the life of Jesus. You know, I'm the biggest nagging, complaining, pain in the behind to Susan when I haven't been worshiping. Because what's happening? 
In the absence of God, I turn to the next best thing, my wife, and start to suck the life out of her. I mean, even if she was Mother Teresa and Gazelle Bunch's body, you know, <laughs> apart from God, I'd still suck the life out of her, destroy her and destroy me. Because expecting Susan to be Jesus, I end up hating Susan, even though I desperately cling to Susan. Expecting men to be Jesus, a Samaritan woman hated men but kept sleeping with them. Expecting those ashes to be Jesus, Kathy despised her mother but was addicted to her ashes. Expecting alcohol to be Jesus, you'll become its slave. Hating your master but serving your master, you'll drink till you're drunk by an unworthy master. However, when you worship the Father in spirit and in truth, kiss the Son and drink his spirit, well, then all of those old idols are transformed into sacraments and temples. Susan is, is not Jesus, but she's a temple at which I encounter Jesus and worship Jesus. I worship Jesus by loving and making love with my wife in the sanctuary of her temple. I worship Jesus by loving his church, but not being enslaved to his church. I worship Jesus by having a glass of wine in remembrance of him. He said, do this, do this in remembrance of me, not in place of me. Through worship, all creation then becomes holy, sacramental. Every sunset, every flower, every chimichanga smothered in that great green chili sauce, everything becomes a sacrament reminding me of its maker. And I exchange the worship of the creature for the worship of the creator. And all my old idols become temples to his glory. So drink Christ's life, the love of God poured out, Drink love, and you won't be so desperate to drink ashes and broken dreams. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 1. Drink and be drunk with love. But how, how, how do we drink? How do we worship? I mean, if you worship to quench your thirst. Is that worship? If you worship to fix your marriage and control your addictions, is that worship? If you worship to fix you, then your worship is about you. Then you're not worshiping Jesus. You're using Jesus in order to worship you. It's all about you, and you've made yourself, your will, and your work into an idol. You're full of you. You think that you're worshiping, but then you ask after the service, did it work? See, it's all about you. Your water jar is full of you then. You're full of yourself. You're full of your own ashes. You try to lose yourself, but it's you trying to lose you, which is only more you. So how do you forget you? <laughs> right? Isn't that our deepest thirst? To lose ourselves? and find ourselves in another. Alcohol makes you forget you. 
That's why it's such a tempting idol. Alcohol makes you forget you, but only for a moment, and then there's more of you. Sex makes you forget you, but only for a moment, and then there's a whole lot of responsibility, and that's more of you. So how can you lose you in order to find you? Well, I hope you noticed that this story is not just about you and your thirst. It's not just about the Samaritan woman and her thirst. It's about Jesus and his thirst. He's the one that came looking for a drink first. Just as the Father searches the world, the earth, for those who would worship him, for worshipers, he searches first. The point is that Jesus is thirsty. He said, the water I give you will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Who is eternal life? Klaus? Jesus said, I am the life, right? So we become fountains. Who drinks from our fountain? Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, gush, 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 and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Well, that happens, but is that the point? Give to me! (laughs) Who is it that longs to drink from that fountain that is you? (laughs) And did Jesus ever get his drink? Toward the end of the Gospel of John on the sixth day of the week, about the sixth hour, Jesus lifts his head from the tree on which he's being crucified for the sins of the world, and he cries, I thirst! God thirsts! I am that I am thirst! And then he cries, It's finished. see, it's at the cross that we see God. Unspeakable beauty. Love poured out into every dark corner. And it's there we drink his wine and receive his life. And he is intoxicating. And there we lose ourselves in him. We drop our can of ashes. We forget our earthen vessel. We forget our water jar. We forget ourselves. For we're no longer simply drinking We're being drunk by God. The Lord drinks his spirit through a fountain that is you. And we are lost and found in the communion that is the very love of God. At the cross, God finally gets his drink, worship, in spirit and in truth. And so satisfy your thirst by quenching his thirst. Serve him your worship. That's why it's called a worship service. What I'm saying is this. Drink to be drunk by God. On the sixth day, 
that day that he was betrayed, that night, their days started at the night. On the sixth day, Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. Drink. When we come to the table, you see, we come to the cross. He hands us his cup, and he says, I thirst. He hands us his cup, and he says, Peter, what is it that you've been drinking? I didn't intend to do this. But as I was writing this sermon, I just felt like I was supposed to because it obviously became more and more clear to me. But I need to show you um, my can of ashes. It's kind of like my paint can. The Samaritan woman wanted love and approval of men and her community. Kathy wanted the approval of her mother. You know, the church is a community and a mother. I grew up in the church. My dad was the pastor. I didn't fit in at school. I really didn't. But I did at church. I was somebody at church. It was my community, and I was addicted to her acceptance and approval. In 1982, after 15 years at the church, my father was removed by the presbytery. They wouldn't even allow him back into the building to say goodbye. I'm still unsure as to the official reasons that they did that, but I do know there was just a world of gossip and slander. I was at the presbytery meeting. The last man who spoke stood down front, declared my father to be a liar, closed the debate, called for the vote, and then threw my dad out and, and me out. I mean, I wasn't that little. I was in college, but I still felt like my mother had just thrown me in the garbage. No, I did not set this whole thing up this way. I had forgotten where that room was until my mom reminded me but this is that room. And that man, he stood um, right here. And these are my uh, father's ashes. They're not my father. They are his water jar, his old earthen vessel. He's so through with it. My father was a picture of God the Father. So for me, these ashes don't represent him so much as they represent broken dreams of church. They're ashes from that night in this room. Years ago at a conference in Canada, God uh, miraculously, just amazingly revealed to me that I went into the ministry out of a loathing for the church, his bride. You see, a loathing that was an addiction for I was driven to make church work so I could get her approval back. 
I think God washed away those ashes at that conference, but because I'm an addict, (laughs) I keep picking them up and trying to drink. Well, Jesus has a way of showing us our paint cans, doesn't he? I mean, he's pretty good at that. So after 15 years, I was removed. I wasn't allowed to go back, and now here I am in this room, and I think God is saying, Peter, 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 drink me. Worship me. Drink my approval here in the depths of your paint can and surrender your paint can. You see, really, me and my ego and my flesh are the ashes in my own paint can. In darkness, anxiety, and fear, I drink these ashes, and they only make me more thirsty. And they make Jesus thirsty, for I'm not drinking him. But you see, when I drink to be drunk by God, when I begin to worship Jesus Christ and him crucified, He hands me his cup and he says, Peter, this is my opinion of you. This is how much I value you. Peter, this is what I think of you. And Peter, there is nothing you could ever do to make me love you more. There is nothing you could ever do to make me approve of you more. Peter, you are forever and eternally accepted. And then I forget me. I forget my ashes. I forget this old earthen vessel. I forget the shattered dreams. And my old idol, my old idol, turns into a temple. No longer a prison but a sanctuary, a sanctuary where I drink and am drunk by love, where I'm lost and I'm found in the very love that is God. Well, that's my paint can. I just told you about it because I thought we should be honest. But you also have a paint can, don't you? Tonight we started worship and uh, we'll have the benediction and you can stay and worship it as long as you like. You're also uh, free to grow, go, that's, uh, that's also true. But if you're wondering, well, well, gosh, how long should I stay in worship? I, I think this is the best answer. You should drink until you're drunk by God. And you say, okay, well, that's a nice idea, but um, how will I know that I'm drunk? You will know that you are drunk when you can't find your paint can. And you don't even care about looking. And maybe you're thinking, okay, okay, but this sounds dangerous. I mean, what if I can't stop drinking? (laughs) Well, then you're done. You're there. In the kingdom of our Father and of his Christ, drinking his spirit forever and ever and ever, ultimately, finally, perfected in his image.
So drink. The cups with the ribbon are wine. The cups without the ribbon, I'll pour some in here, are juice. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 1. Drink and be drunk by love. He is the one that you are made for. In Jesus' name, amen. He lifted his head and he cried, it is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. And now imagine his disciples. Just imagine the can of ashes that they were holding at that moment. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, cabinet posts in the newly constituted nation of Israel, right-hand man to the king, and now just a can of ashes. But you see, God is in charge of the ashes. If you're a believer, you are never a victim. <laughs> Your father is in charge of the can of ashes. It's his plan. And over the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to them. Well, that was just dang confusing because, you know, he says the strangest things and then he disappears. And they didn't know what to do. They were confused. Finally, Jesus appeared to him and he said, go wait in Jerusalem. And according to scriptures, they went and they waited. And they devoted themselves to the prayers in the upper room. I, I'm wondering if this was maybe the same room where this happened that night. The same room, the location of that place where they kind of received their can of ashes when Jesus told them, my body and my blood. They go to that place and they drink. I wonder if they felt like drinking. <laughs> they didn't know what to do, so they worshiped. They drank until they were drunk. For the Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost like tongues of fire from heaven. The living water uh, filled them and the people that were standing by, they looked and they said, those guys are drunk! But those drunk guys changed the world. For you see, they were drunk by a good master. So drink that you might be drunk by him.